Well, I'm sitting down with Nancy Ortberg. Nancy, I've uh, I've followed you in ministry for years, from your time in suburban Chicago to the Pacific Coast, and uh, just uh, always uh, marveled at the way God's used your gifts as a leader and as a teacher. Um, just give us a for those who are listening and aren't as familiar with you, just. Um, share a little bit some of the hats that you have worn in ministry and what you're doing now. Sure. Well, my journey has been incredibly circuitous. I always wanted to be a doctor, so already oh. you know that that didn't turn out well. Oh. My sophomore year in college, I hit inorganic chemistry and thought, this is crazy. And there just were no career counselors back in those days, so I switched to a major in nursing and speech communications. I worked as a nurse for a while, put myself through seminary, um, did a little side work when the kids were little, part-time, and then it was really when we moved to the Midwest and were part of a larger church that um, I was able to bring my seminary career to the forefront and do work in a church. Yeah, and now I'm—actually, uh, after we left that church, uh, I did a, a couple of things there. I taught spiritual gifts, and then I also led the next-gen ministry. And then when we moved back to California, I worked with Pat Lencioni and the table group for about— 11 or 12 years That's doing leadership fabulous. development. It was a, That's some name dropping. I mean, well, it was I just could, an amazing uh, learning. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. 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 He was actually just starting his consulting partners program, so I think he was a little desperate to just get it started. So he's like, sure, you can come on and do this. If Did Patrick that, Lencioni asked me to make some photocopies know, for him today, I, I would do it. Sure. Sure. So what... And so you've done work with the table group. Yes. And now you're you're on to a new exciting Yeah, there's adventure. an organization in the Bay Area called Transforming the Bay with Christ. It's a holistic gospel movement that includes the 11 counties, 256 cities of the Bay Area. Wow. And so it's a, a board that was started by four Christian businessmen and four pastors, and we work with three strategic streams, unify, amplify, and multiply. Wow. And unify is pastors' networks. We have 30 okay. of them in the Bay Area. Um, amplify is working with churches— and nonprofits around issues like foster care, homelessness, pastor, uh, prison ministries, COVID relief, education, and then multiply as church planting and evangelism. I'm exhausted yeah. just hearing that. Well, that's a there big... you go. So if someone's listening uh, to this podcast who happens to live in the Bay Area or mm -hmm. have connections in the Bay Area, how would they get connected to your ministry? You could start with a website. It's just tbc.city. Okay. Yeah. That's easy enough. There you go. That's very good. Um, uh, one of the the things that uh, is funny about ministry is it's always moving forward. So today's cutting edge ministry, you know, and yesterday's cutting edge ministry sometimes have overlap. But uh, when I first met you, um, I, I met you when you were working with Next Gen Ministry, trying right. to win that uh, tough, thick necked next. Gen who are Gen Xers who today right. are we're all in our forties and fifties. Yeah, y'all are and old. Yeah, right. We we all have minivans and SUVs, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just curious. Uh, what have you seen by way of of changes of of reaching that um, next generation person, developing that next generation person over the last twenty years? I know that's an enormous question to start out with. Yes. I promise I'll back up and I'll ask you a lighthearted question Good. next. Okay, I'll be waiting. But this for is that. the big one, so yeah. start with the big one here. Well, I think one of the conversations you and I had a few minutes ago is what's life stage and what's generational is a really critical one. It's a good question, and I think a lot of us, when we're adolescents and coming out of college, we're asking a lot of the same questions, generation to generation, and at the same time, 
there are generational differences. So trying to make room and space for them. And then if you're leading it, to really let them come up with the solutions. And if it's not illegal or immoral, let's try it. And they were saying, our friends won't come to church on a first invitation, but when we go downtown and serve AIDS patients and then go to the service, they'll come with us to that. It's like, great. Well, let's do more of that then. What a, it's, it's fascinating that I like that line, like, you know, I, I think each generation, if I can interpret a bit of what you said, is the, the older generation can sometimes look at the efforts of the younger generation a little leery, a little concerned, and we do have to remind ourselves, like, hey, if it's not sinful and it's not a felony, maybe even if it's a misdemeanor, we'll right. let that one Absolutely. go. But if it's not going to land you in a jail cell and right. it's not going to land you on, you know, some infraction of the Decalogue, you're, you give it a try. Yeah, give it a try. And how quick we forget that the older generation was looking at us that way. So yeah. it's okay. All right, we're going to come back to that theme in a little bit, but what I um, I want I told you I was going to give you a lighthearted question, so you're going to tell me if this is lighthearted or not. Um, what advice from leader to leader? Because I think you is a big time leader. That's my opinion, uh, and I think it's the opinion of many. But leader to leader, what advice would you give thirty year old Nancy Orberg? Oh, you're now you have a chance to mentor the thirty year old you. Yeah. So what advice mean, as far as leadership development, as far okay. as preparation for leadership? Just being a leader. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is um, it takes time. It takes time. Leaders in general are impatient. When we're younger, we may be at our most impatient, and we want to get to the vision too quickly. And it's almost always a process. It almost always takes longer than we hoped. It almost always involves smaller things over time that accumulate than we'd like. Mm-hmm. And I think to be able to slow down, pace ourselves, wait when we need to wait, and trust the process that God's in it. Sure. Okay. So one of the things you said in there, the smaller things, Mm. what would be some of the smaller things that maybe when you were in your 30s, you didn't think were as big a things as they really are, or those smaller things that you should really master the craft of? What are some of those things? uh, Being present with people Mm -hmm. and listening to them. Working on buying, build, uh, buy-in before you make a decision, it's so tempting to say, oh, I see very clearly where we should go, and then paint that as visionary, instead of to say, I really just don't have the patience to ask and sit with a bunch of people to both hear what they have to say and to get buy-in first. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a talk years ago called If I Had Been Jesus' Leadership Consultant. Oh, I want to, is that recorded somewhere? Who knows? I'm sure it is somewhere. But one of the things I would have written him up for was um, his language. If you want to start a movement, you talk about tsunamis and seismic shifts. You don't talk about salt and light and yeast and seed. Mm. Well, what did Jesus know about the warp and woof of the universe? Well, he knew that it was designed for a disproportionate impact of small things. So how do we pull that into our leadership as a kingdom value? That is such good insight because we tend to, especially in our youth, I don't know if it ever goes away, but I think in our youth, we we think, I want to do the big, bold things. Absolutely. Who doesn't? And how much ego is involved in that? Oh, I mean, not, not, not mine, no, but not, I know, not, I know not other people one of that us. have a and lot of And not 100%, <laughs> but enough sure, sure. that it might do us well to yeah. slow down a little bit. Well, and especially in our modern, uh, I think of our, our modern younger leaders, they have so many more people to compare themselves to. Oh, yeah. 
thanks to things like social media, just media in general, where I generally, if I didn't turn on, say, Christian radio and didn't know who the Christian big name speakers on Christian radio were- You wouldn't struggle with that. I just wouldn't have any sense that someone is over my shoulder that's looming that's much bigger, but they do. We have a pastor in the Bay Area that talks about comparison is like acid to your soul. And then I love that, I love and hate that passage in John 21, where when Peter commits the sin of comparison- yeah. When Jesus says somebody's going to lead you to where you do not want to go, and he says, well, what about him? Jesus gets more angry at Peter for the sin of comparison than the woman caught in adultery. Isn't that What is that to you? If I allow him to remain alive until I return, you follow me. Well, I don't want to do that. But that comparison, it just gets in the way of us growing into who it is that God made us to be. Well, just a, what a contrast. Woman caught in adultery uh, I recently heard a pastor say it should be called the uh, the the men caught in hypocrisy. Well, there you go. Actually, it was N.T. Wright. I mean, he was a pastor, sure. and N.T. Wright has some of the best quotes out there, but yes. the men caught in hypocrisy. But that, that is such a good insight that Jesus has compassionate words to her. And, and vitriolic to, words to Peter. Yeah, yeah. Who is also the only guy he called Satan. You know, I mean, right, he never calls right. anyone else Satan. And then turn the keys of the kingdom over to Peter. That's the oh. other thing I would have written him up for is his succession plan. It would, like, no, Peter. It would appear that Jesus had never read any of our leadership That's books. Right. Well, Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so this is really connected to this idea of, of patience and little things, but every leader has to ride attention, whether they're old or uh, young or any point in between, of when to put the foot on the gas. Yeah. And when to also pump the brakes. Sometimes you can go so hard and so fast, whether it's in an organization, a team, a group, whatever. Mm -hmm. Even in your own home life, it can you can push so hard that you cause you know struggles. But also at the same time, uh, you you know you so you have to know when to pump the brakes. But sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes a person's well, their foot's on the brake and they need to put it on the gas. So how do yeah. you, how do you, I wouldn't even say balance out the tension. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate the yeah, tension? Yeah, that's a good phrase. I like that much better. I think a couple of thoughts come to mind. The first, not, not even linearly, but the first thought is you have to have a community of leadership around you on your team that can tell you, dude, get your foot off the brake. Dude, take your foot off the gas. Um, the second thing is this is not a perfect uh, practice. You, you will make mistakes Own them, embrace them, talk about them. Um, And then I think paying attention to your intuition and your gut sense of, man, I'm running really Mm -hmm. fast right now and I can hardly breathe. Maybe I have to. I used to work in the emergency room. Like there are times when you're not going to say to the doctor, just take your time. She's bleeding out, but it's okay. I know you need a cup of coffee. You have to run at that pace. But the problem is um, we don't know how to change gears well. So to to do the internal work with God, to know when to put the clutch in and how to th- throttle back. It feels mm. weird to throttle back from full full uh, push ahead to neutral to relaxing. And yeah. we just have to get better at making those transitions smooth. I think uh, probably most people listening are familiar with uh, Cloud and Townsend's book, Boundaries. Yes. Uh, and in some ways, it, we're speaking into that issue is having some way of having proper boundaries in your life and in your relationships. But is there a place where a person maybe has too firm of boundaries? Like that is, that is there, there could very well be a person listening who goes, yeah, I'm running hard, and they're not. 
how do they know? I mean, are, are there any clues that the person just feels winded, but really they're walking when they should be running? Of course. So what, are, what are some of the things, how do you coach people? Well, and I think the first thing you said needs a little bit of dwell time, and that is um, we can use boundaries to self-protect and be yeah. selfish. Yeah. So it's not just as simple as what boundaries right. are in place, because so much of what Jesus calls us to is sacrifice. And there were times when he had very bad boundaries and was falling asleep in boats and looking mm-hmm. for places to sleep. But um, I think everybody needs to look at their capacity and be honest with other people on their team. Um, I'm a I'm a two talent person. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't see myself as a five talent person. Um, and then you got to match your job to your capacity sure. at some point, and the organization needs yeah. to help you do it. I think if you hear a lot of people say, what's next, what's next, you yeah. may want to pay attention to maybe yeah. my pace is not where it should be for this season. It's a, it's really good insight there is that this is very situational. Yeah. Uh, I think I, what Ken Blanchard uh, wrote mm-hmm. a lot about situational yes, leadership. leadership stuff yeah. is that there is this, uh, it's the person, it's the position, it's the situation. Mm-hmm. There's so many different Yes. Factors to it. And we have to be self aware. There's some people that want prominence, but they don't have capacity. Yeah. And then there's some people that have capacity, but maybe they're lazy. Yeah. And so right. it's all part of the discipline. And you mentioned something here about the team, listening to the mm-hmm. team. What role does a community around you play in that? Because yeah. we're not always self aware. Well, you're answering your own question actually better than I could. You're right. We can rarely do that at a high level well only on our own because we sure. self-deceive, we want to make ourselves comfortable. Um, to be able to have people who are honest with us, not just trying to tell us what we want to hear, what they think we want to hear, but I think we could move a little faster. Or I don't know if you realize it, but four people are biting the dust. I think we're moving too fast. Um, and you're just not going to get it right all the time. It's no, okay. I, I, you know, and I think we just need to hear that sometimes is that we're not – always going to get this right. No. It's where I don't quite like the word balance. I hear no, people it's talk about balance. Precarious. I'm like, nope. I don't even know Equilibrium how. Equilibrium is a good e- yeah, word. Equilibrium, yeah. harmony, some sort of navigating those yeah. tensions. But I agree. it is a, is if someone's trying to perfectly balance out life, good luck. You're well, going to exhaust yourself What a horrible goal. It, it, yeah. It's like standing on a razor's edge and you have to tighten every muscle to hold it and keep it in place. Yeah. And that's not what we're called to do. And when we look in the New Testament, we don't see a lot of balanced people. They're very imbalanced people, but for a purpose yeah. and for a season yeah. and for a time. No, and I think another part that uh, helps us is over time, what you want is you want a robust life in which your work is a part of it. You don't want yeah. work and then have to jam your life in it. So is there time for hobbies? Mm. Is there time for your family? Do your relational people, the people in your life that you have close relationship, do they feel attended to? Yeah. And then that helps answer that question. All right. You just used a word that when I hear it, I'm always curious about. You just said hobbies. So I Uh, ask people this question a lot. What are your hobbies? Off topic, but yet on topic. Yeah. What are your hobbies? And then I'll tell you why that's a super important question. Um, I love to hike. Nice. Especially with my husband and with my dog off leash when I can find a place in the Bay Area that allows them off leash. You can take him into Nordstrom. But you can't take them off leash on many of the hiking trails. Um, I uh, love to have a meal with friends and have a great Mm. conversation. I love to read. I love, okay, I've never loved anything so much that I'm so bad at, but I love surfing. I learned a few years ago. And if you saw me, you'd think, oh, that's cute. She just learned last week. Well, no, I learned a while ago, but I'm horrible at it. And that's not self-effacing. But um, 
Azusa Pacific, Duke University, and Notre Dame did a study 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a guy from APU called me and he said, we have found what the number one effective uh, thing that works against burnout is. And I'm half listening because I know he's going to say more spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what it wasn't? It wasn't more spiritual disciplines. Oh. So I said, okay, you have my undivided attention mm-hmm. right now. And then he said it wasn't leaders going back to school. It was do they have a hobby wow. that they practice on a weekly basis and when they do, they get they lose track of time. Yeah. We think about the theological profundity for a leader to say, I lost track of time. The world yeah. is still spinning on its axis and it's clear I had nothing to do with it. It just puts you in the right position to God to play, yeah. not work, and everything's okay. What a great reminder, like in, in a sense that God made us to delight in the world that he created. Well, there you go. So yeah, there's work. We have to work. But then but work can be part of that delight. Work can be part of that delight. But not only work. That's yeah. right. If you hate your job so much that the only thing you think about is the delight you have from your hobby, you probably should try to find a new job. Or a new attitude. <laughs> or, yeah, and that might yeah. be as well. But if you have a, a job that you take delight in, but yeah. then on top of that, you have something that inspires you, that creativity yes. that you lose track of time mm-hmm. doing. That's a right, that's a good way of of thinking about that yeah. for a hobby. So well So uh, I would say hobbies are as much a spiritual discipline as reading your Bible or solitude or prayer. I think uh if if we had a congregation right now you'd have a lot of amens <laughs> and a lot of smiling faces good. and there'd be a handful of frowns and head shaking so as good. well. Fine. So we'll uh we'll respond to those uh Letters. In fact, if you're upset by Nancy's comment, just right, uh, right all you have Bill. to do is email I'm not interested at crossings.church. <laughs> um, I want to shift gears, uh, especially since I have this time with you, and talk about the specific or the particulars of being a woman in leadership in a church or religious setting. Now, the church I serve here, Crossings, is egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Your experiences have been an egalitarian. Most people maybe listening might have uh, sympathies in that direction, or maybe not. And so uh, I don't want to get into the why that that's a valid way for churches to go about it. That's not the questions. But what I want to talk about is in churches like Crossings, where it is an aspirational goal to have more women using their gifts, and there is no barrier to women using their gifts, because again, some churches have some areas where women can and cannot serve. But um, what... What, from your point of view, are some of the unique contributions that having women in leadership makes? In other words, if you don't have any women in leadership, what's missing? So, Well, let me go back just a minute to what you said, that there are no barriers here to women in ministry. I would say there's probably no macro barriers. Yes, yeah, that's you a allow, better way of putting that. Because I can guarantee if you pull the women aside, they would say something there's different. a dozen micro barriers to that. So oh, you yes. have to look at that. Indeed. Um, I want to be careful how I answer this uh, thank, question. Thanks for clarifying that, sure. by the way, because I will be talked to later yeah, by a few <laughs> of my friends who are women <laughs> who will be written I work up for with this. who will say, hey, mm-hmm. Buster. Easy so, for you to say. Yes, thank you for yeah. clarifying that, and I agree with what you just said. Thank um, you. I think I, part of why I want to be careful answering the question is I just don't wake up every morning thinking, I'm a woman leader. Mm-hmm. I just am me. I yeah. love being a woman. I wouldn't want to be a guy. But I think there's a lot of over-genderizing around what women bring. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of guy leaders that are just shepherding, kind, nurturing leaders. Yeah. And I know a lot of women that are driven, visionary, hard-charging leaders. Yeah. That's all okay. Yes, it's all indeed. got pros and cons. Having said that, I do think 
often women will bring more of a collaborative spirit. Mm. And I think in scripture, so much of leadership is collaborative, yeah. even more so as the ark moves towards the New Testament yeah. and the direction God wants for humanity. So I think that collaborative nature, I think sometimes there's a little bit more radar up for how is this conversation landing on somebody's heart or in their head? Um, and maybe a little bit more patience with yeah. the hard stuff because we do a lot of that. All right. Can I ask you? Um, I'm going to ask. So I, I hope I can say, ask. If I, I say hope, no, can we I move hope, on? I hope I can ask this question. Um, so I'm going to – this is almost against my own uh, uh, gender stereotype, if you will. But in my experience, I have just not bumped into as many women with big egos. But boy, mm. I bumped into a lot of men mm-hmm. with big egos. I can't is that my that. experience? I can't I don't disagree with that. Okay. And who knows how much of yeah. that is testosterone driven, culturally yeah, sure. driven, yeah. insecurity driven. Yeah. There's a great book. It's not a Christian book, but it's a great book called Ego Free Leadership. I think everybody needs to read that. Ego Ego Free Leadership. Leadership. That's going on my must read list for yeah. 2022. Because, so uh, a while ago we gathered in the Bay Area uh, 15 or 20 leaders that are working at a pretty high systems change level on the homelessness issue, which, as you can imagine, in California is huge Big because deal. if you were going to be homeless, wouldn't you go to California? I would I never would. go to Chicago. Or I Oklahoma. lived in downtown Chicago, I mean, and I never understood why they're no, homeless there. Not no. good. But um, we talked about systems change, systems thinking for social change. And the authors mm-hmm. of that book we brought in, we did a workshop. And we talked about the collaboration needed to bring business leaders, church leaders, nonprofit leaders, city officials together to solve problems. And one of the pastors stood up and in the most winsome way said, I'll tell you why I don't collaborate, because I don't want to give up control or credit. Wow. And I just did a little bow to him and I said, if we could have more conversations like that, wouldn't it be great to think if we're going to follow Jesus in our leadership, we should be moving towards getting over control and credit. Indeed. That you just told us what we have to get over. Yeah. So how do we help each other get over that? Well, it's, it is such an interesting, and it has been such a barrier in my 25 years of ministry yeah. is my own ego, not mm-hmm. just somebody else's ego, my own. I need sure. credit for this. Yes. I need to be the originator the hero, of this. The, yeah. yeah, the hero. I mean, and there's something deep in not everybody, mm-hmm. but like I mentioned, I, I there is a certain degree in which... Um, I have seen it much, much more in uh, men than in women. And, and I think um, ego-driven leadership is much higher percentage driven by insecurity than it is competency. Yeah, I probably would be a good illustration of that as well. We're all insecure. So you bet. Every one you of bet. us. And whoever says I'm not, yeah. Yeah. I don't believe you. Yeah. Don't. Well, um, what do you think? And I, I kind of illustrated this uh, in the startup of this whole question series. Um, what do you think men get wrong about mm. women in leadership? Mm. Um, so if I can start with a story, I was on a panel at a conference one time. I was the only one up there. There were maybe five or six of us. And one guy stood up, and you could just tell by the way he stood up, he was a little on the angry side. And when he asked the question, I realized I don't think he's comfortable with women in certain roles. But he said to me directly, I'm assuming you put your family first. And I said, well, that doesn't sound like a question, but... I said, let me say two things. The first is, I find it interesting that you asked me that and not the men up here. Mm. The second thing I would say my answer would be most of the time. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when I come home from work and my kids are home, the majority of times if I get a call from work and I listen to what it's about, I will tell them, actually, I'm with my kids right now. This can wait till tomorrow. But every once in a while, there's a time when I have to turn to my kids and say, 
you need to learn to wait. You need to learn to do without my attention for a while because this is really important. Both of those are great situations. Both of those yeah. send really good messages to my children. Um, so I think the the balance of uh, responsibility at home sure. is huge. John 21 um, not only is that a great passage of Jesus reinstating Peter, but Jesus is waiting on the on the side of the shore cooking. Mm-hmm. And not just grilling, he was making fish and cooking bread. So share the load at home so that women can be freed up to use their gifts in other places. Um, what I One of the things I used to tell John is every day something needs to happen to a floor. Every day, swept, mopped, or mm-hmm. vacuumed. Don't ask me if we need milk. You're so smart. You have a PhD. Open the refrigerator. You tell me. Just initiate that. And then I think um, ask the women because you're going to think there's no issue and they're going to say, actually, there are. So what are they? Listen. Don't make decisions on the golf course. And that's a metaphor for don't go away from the meeting table of teams and make the guy decisions. Um, Don't push your agenda without inviting other people to collaborate. Don't be afraid that you're sure. not going to get your way followed. Well, I think it's important if if nothing comes out of if someone listening to this, it, then to have the conversation of how do we navigate through yeah. these issues? How do we well how do we involve women in ministry and even a church that might or a person who might be listening who who doesn't share our underlying convictions on the issue, no doubt do they want to see women using their gifts in Fair whatever enough. capacity right. Fair enough. for them? So yeah. they have to think about how do we how do we uh, accomplish this task? So, well said. So how um, what what can a church do to raise up women leaders yeah. in in uh, in different areas of service? Again, you, you know, you might have someone listening who doesn't share our underlying convictions, mm-hmm. but they certainly have some capacities sure. that they want women. To serve in, uh, and then churches like uh, ours that are egalitarian want them in all layers of mm-hmm. leadership. So how do yeah. how do we go about doing that? You know, I think first of all, I would do some kind of study of scripture. I certainly have done that and feel not only comfortable with egalitarian, feel like that's really what the Bible is teaching. Mm-hmm. But answer your theological questions. Dig yeah, deep. That's good. Listen to listen to talks. Read books. Yeah. Get that settled. And then um, I think you just expand your scope. You just say, boy, in this department, we only have 16% of women in leadership. How can we make our next couple of hires women? How do we have these conversations on a leadership team of how we're going to work together and how we're going to, you know, uh, what do women bring to the table and men bring to the table that's really important for us all to be around the same table? What value will it add that's going to be great? And let that motivate us. I think we, yeah, I hear creative, creatively strategize. Yeah. You know, think, think it through because we'll get the results we plan for. Mm-hmm. So if we just sort of let uh, momentum take, take, its, uh, take its effect, then we might not see the result we want. Well, and if most churches have a little bit more than 50% of their attenders as women, yeah. but everything's getting planned by men, eventually that's yeah. going to cause a problem. One of my mentors early in ministry, I, I think of her as my second mom, because that's really the function she played in my mm-hmm. formative years, but continued professionally. She was CEO of a big company and 
mid-Michigan. But uh, she would uh, give me books to read and she'd uh, occasionally smack me upside the head when Mm -hmm. I needed. I mean, she had no, she, she had no problem being both tough and being uh, nurturing and kind and all these things. And one of the things as I grew in ministry, which caused me to reflect on where I stood on it was there was really no place for Anne in many of the churches that she served. If Anne would have been Andy, then right. Andy would have been an elder. Or if Anne only wanted to do children or sing. That's right. But what if those aren't in her gifting, and that was not giftedness? Her. Right. That was right. not her. Uh, yeah. No, she she ran yeah. a company worth half a million dollars, or well, half, half a billion dollars. So I think she, you know, she had something to offer. And, and again, I'm, I know some people listening have different convictions on it, but it's more the, <laughs> the thought process of, well, then if there are restrictions in some setting, then think, how do we still engage yeah. the very best? Engage is a great word. we're losing out. Uh, Stuart Briscoe, when he was thinking through this issue at Elmbrook, he said, we're fighting with one arm tied behind mm-hmm. our back. Absolutely. And that is a not, great not a good idea. Well, and you think yeah. of one of the most powerful things I've seen that have helped advance women on teams like you're describing is when a pretty strong man would say in a meeting, here's what I think we should do. We're talking and talking, and a woman suggests something different, and they'll stop and say, oh, I think there's something in here that's better than my idea. Tell me more. Yeah. That is so powerful and so egoless. Indeed. That's a great—that's that, a just a great little snapshot of how to— how to make this a reality. Yep. Yep. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. And it's connected to this in a sense, but it's um, it's really connected to everyone, which is the courage to lead. Mm-hmm. You can't lead anything without having uh, courage to lead. This isn't a new thing. One of my favorite quotes is about from Teddy Roosevelt yes. on the courage to lead. There's um, whether you're leading in a church, a not-for-profit, or even a business setting, the courage to lead. It's not something that I thought too much about in my earlier days, but what does a leader need to develop as by way of internal resolve mm-hmm. in order to have the courage to lead? Because I don't know of anyone who goes, no, actually, I don't want to have any courage. People are right. for this. Or I have enough. Yes. No, I, yeah. yeah, right. How do I grow this capacity yeah. in me? Well, and that's a great phrase, how do I grow that capacity? Anytime you want to grow in something, that turns into a lifelong journey. So if we're doing this right with God, we should be getting more and more courageous the older and older we get. And we need courage just to face aging, let's be honest. I think it's a little bit what we've talked about this weekend at the weekend services. It's this journey to understand what am I afraid of and why, Mm. and then to realize over 365 times in the Bible, there's the invitation not to be afraid. So God is telling us something about our major issue that underlies everything. I think I mentioned this morning in the group, I Uh, was talking with, that we had a spiritual director one time at a church talk about what are all the sins that leaders can easily fall into. And we just filled up a flip chart two-thirds of the way down. And then she drew a horizontal line like a math problem. Mm -hmm. And underneath all of that, she wrote fear and pride. Well, I've got bombs going off in my mind. Like you can tie every one of those two to fear and pride. And then she took a red pen and marked out the word pride and wrote fear under pride. This is the main journey of a leader, is to become a non-anxious presence and for people that say, I am a non-anxious presence, I don't believe you and I don't yeah. like you, yeah. you're always excavating your fears and facing them. And the only thing God promises, I want him to fix it. That's what I want when I'm afraid. But yeah. that's not the promise. The promise is, I will be with you. So how do I experience God's presence with me as a way to begin to release my fears? 
to release my fears. You and I are both big fans of Steve Cuss's book. Oh my goodness. Managing Leadership Anxiety. So good. If you're Buy listening and you haven't bought the book and read it yet, it's mm-hmm. Managing Leadership Anxiety by Steve Cuss. Uh, incredible book, but he 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 talks about this. He says um, that uh, he he wrestled with the need to know, yes. to go in with a degree of certainty into a given situation, and what he really needed to recognize is that God would be present mm-hmm. regardless, and that would be enough. And that would but be that enough. that example is so good because we will think about a leader wants certainty. That's great leadership. A leader can power up and take charge. Those are anxieties, just yeah. like, oh, what are we going to do? That's anxiety too. Yeah. But anxiety looks very different in, a, in most leaders, and so we have to admit, um, I'm anxious. So I'm assuming that the courage to lead also, somewhere in there, one of the things that you need is a community of people around mm-hmm. you. At least I do. So um, how do we find our people? Mm-hmm. I'm well, not talking about like just a small group of people, but I'm talking about if you're leading something you might need a community of leaders that you circle up yes. with. How do you find them? I think, you know, you want to build that on your own team that you're leading and sure. the team you lead up to or that yeah. you report up to. Yeah. But then outside of the church, and it may be a few people that are inside the church, but outside of your work, do I have a, a small group of people either as a group or individually that I can go to mm-hmm. that are going to help me with this courage journey? And then when it comes to spiritual gifts, people with a gift of faith— are oak trees. And so I have a few people in my life that have that gift, and I go fling my arms around them, the, the trunk of their being, yeah. and say, I don't have enough faith right now. Help me. And the, their words that they reflexively speak just bring peace to me, like, oh, I forgot that. I forgot that. You just encouraged everyone who's listening who has the gift of faith. 100%. Who, who has thought to themselves, what good is oh, this you're gift? the oak tree. Mm-hmm. The oak tree. Now, or the gift of encouragement, yeah. which sounds so sweet. Yeah. It's to put courage into somebody else's that's heart. Right. That's, that's not right. A, that's not sweet. That's strong. It is. Yeah. It is. So, well, um, I, whenever I, I sit down with a leader, I always want to know their favorite books that oh, have geez. influenced them. Two, three books. Uh, you can't give me 10 books. We'll spot you the Bible because you're Christian, but uh, but beyond that, right? Exactly, you have to. Yeah. Um, but uh, what are two or three of your favorite books? Well, the older I get, the less I read about leadership. The more I read about spiritual formation. Yeah. But when it comes to leadership books, anything Lencioni wrote, I have found very compelling. See, that's what's great about the advantage because if oh, you yeah. have that it book, merges it's like everything all of them, into right? it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the stories in the other books are yeah, more fun. Yeah, that is true. Um, I think Max Dupree. The Art of Leadership oh. and Leadership Jazz. He was a mentor of mine for 20 oh, years. How lucky are oh, you? Oh, my goodness. Herman no, I, Miller. I mean, did you score any Eames furniture? No, from, I got nothing. I mean, Max was the no, president nothing. of He was generous with his time, but not his oh, Eames chairs. man. But his view of mentoring, when I asked him, is he said, I expect to learn as much from you as you will from me. And I just laughed and patted him on the knee and said, well, good luck with that, yeah. Max. Oh, but his God. books, Leadership is yeah. an Art and Leadership Jazz, they're so person-centered, person-oriented leadership. I think those yeah. two authors are, they come to mind. And Max is a Michigan guy, so I appreciate well, that. I mean, you know. Yeah. He I would have preferred in Cali- to live in California. Well, yeah, I mean, but. well, I mean, and he had the money to live in California. Yeah, That's he did, good. You know, he did. So, all right, last question. Um, who is a role model? Mm. Someone, they don't even have to be a person you've met or oh. it was alive in mm. uh, the same century in which you lived but someone you really look up to. And from time to time, you think, 
what would they do? Okay, two names popped in my head. The first is Jamie Barr. In my leadership book, I dedicated to Jamie Barr. He was the youth pastor. When I showed up at the church at 19 years old and said, I think I'd be a good volunteer for the high school group, one year older than the oldest high school person. What a joke. He had been a chemist and a cancer researcher at the City of Hope. And one day at the microscope felt God saying, go to seminary, become a youth pastor. So he did. And he took me under his wing and... He was the first person that called me a leader and a teacher and gave me opportunities far beyond my capabilities at that time. But then he also gave me feedback, and it honestly took me about a year before I realized when he put his arm around me said and would say, if you could do that over again, what would you do differently? And I would just blather away, and finally was like, oh, I made a mistake. Mm. But he's okay with that. What can I learn from it? He just built into me and made me believe myself. And the second one that I've ever met is Amelia Earhart. I, as a kid, I grew up reading about John Cabot and mm-hmm. Gama and Magellan and the explorers and oh, yeah. uh, Contiki, but Amelia Earhart, the first woman to circumnavigate, I mean, come on. That's She died courage. near Howland Island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, probably. Like, yep. that's just to be able to step outside the box, yeah. to be an entrepreneur, yeah. to um, be an explorer and an adventurer. I love that you named... Somebody who none of us know. Nobody knows, Jamie. And someone should. all of us know. Yeah. There I think that's great. Thank and you. I think we need that. That's a, that it's a, a boots on the ground, someone who built into us. That nobody knows about. That nobody knows. You know, when Lencioni gets asked that question, the first thing he'll say is, oh, it's a leader you never heard of. He's running yeah. a false, a small family business, but boy, is he an amazing leader. And that's that's a great answer. That is a great answer. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thanks so much thanks for, for having in, me. investing some time with thank us. You. What a privilege. I hope we get to sit down together again and I do this again. It. So thank you for being with us today. Over and out.